Everybody, welcome back to That Was the Worst Podcast Ever, a Sufjan Stevens podcast. But today, oh, it's not so much a Sufjan Stevens podcast. It's more like the Canadian Sufjan Stevens podcast because we are diving into our very own Jordan Clausen's latest album, Glossolalia. <laughs> yeah. Hold on, Jordan. <laughs> Glot. Gl- Glossolalia? Glossolalia, yeah. Oh, I pronounced it right? Yeah. It is glossolalia. Yeah. I don't even know what that means. George, should we just do the most boring question that you probably hate? What does glossolalia mean? It means, it. it's like the uh, kind of more um, um, scientific term for speaking in tongues. Really? Yeah. Whoa. I had no clue. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So, by the, by the way, this is Jordan Clausen, singer, songwriter, producer in his own right. I'm Justin Bills. We're good friends. And normally we talk about Sufjan Stevens. But I Jordan's album came out a couple months ago, and I've been listening to it. I think it's great. And I had all these questions about what these songs meant and what certain lyrics meant. And... I didn't want to just sit down with Jordan and just grill him. So I'm using this podcast as an excuse to kind of just get Jordan's attention to explain all these songs to me. But also because I just think it's a great album. And why not? I My friend wrote and recorded it and produced it. So this is the Glossolalia episode. <laughs> nice. What are you going to play there? Well, before that, how are you doing, man? Yeah, good. It, it was my day off today, and I bought a hammock and I strung it up. Oh yeah, and did you did you lay in it? Did you lounge? Yeah, it was really beautiful in my backyard. But my neighbor is getting his roof done. Yeah, and so the roofers <laughs> watched me set it up, and then just kind of watched me lay in it. And then I, when I would, one time I peeked my head up. And one guy was on the roof taking a smoke break, and he was just looking right at me. Oh, wow. And I was like, ah! And then I went back into my hammock, and it made it less relaxing. It made me feel like maybe I was like a Caesar. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, how come I'm not working right now? Or like... Yeah, exactly. You feel kind of lazy. You're just like laying there in a hammock while a bunch of guys are slaving away. Yeah, and don't you think they probably were like, what's this guy's deal? Yeah. (laughs) Look just at this dad. Up a Were you drinking a beer? On a Friday at one. Were you drinking a beer? No. Oh. I was reading a book. Oh, which book? Oh, um, you know what? Sure. It's The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Oh yeah. Nice. And did you know that we saw that movie together? At did Cinema we? Hall? Oh yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. So a, a little serendipity. Jordan connection. Yeah. What about you, Jor? What's going on with you? You know, I'm, um, I got a bunch of movies on the go that I'm working on, um, but I'm also planning uh, a bunch of outings for music. So I'm going to Toronto at the end of the month and then 
playing some shows in Vancouver. I'm going to go to Victoria and open for the band Stars, which is pretty exciting. Um, Are you the only opener? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Um, And then I'm going to... Courtney loves Stars, by the way. Yeah, they're great. I grew up on that. Yeah. Um, And then I'm going to Europe in September for probably like a month, so planning that tour. Oh, but, that's right. And I'm going to go and drum with you. Yeah. Just leave your children <laughs> behind. Um, I've also been really getting into mentalism. Have you ever heard oh, of mentalism? Oh, is that like uh, magic tricks? No, it's like reading body language. and. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. Like being able to guess what people are thinking based on different tells. What do you mean you're getting into mentalism? <laughs> what are you talking about? Is that something you can just get into? Well, just like, I kind of am this, you know, on, on the Enneagram, if I, I'm a four-wing five, and sometimes my five-wing just reigns really strong. And so I just, like, get, like, obsessed with a certain thing. And it's, like, all I, and I just want to learn everything about it. Um, and right now it's mentalism. But it's kind of a, a dangerous sword to wield because you're like, oh, I just read their body language and they definitely think this. Yeah. And it's like, but what if you're wrong? Yeah. I mean, I could try it on you. Okay. How's your hit rate? Let's see. So what do you mean? What do I do? Uh, let's just do, let's make, okay. So I'll get, we'll do something, at, we'll make it as random as possible. Okay. So okay. think of a number between one and 10. Okay. Um, now multiply that number by, let's say nine. Okay. You have that number in your head? Yeah. Okay. So that should make a two digit number, right? Well, no, actually mine's not. Oh, cause you, oh, <laughs> okay. That's <laughs> fine. So, that's, so now you know what? Huh? No. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I, I guess I kind of. <laughs> Is this no, like what you? YouTube mentalism where it's <laughs> basically just like a tr- a stupid trick? No, I, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, it's like times it by two divided by eight. And it's like okay. an equation that will always end up at four or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe we should just cut this out. No. I'm really All bummed. Right. I had to like set up that whole mentalism thing in my head and now I didn't get to do it. Well... No, I can't do it now. I can't do it. It's just... Is it because I know that it's just this long equation that will always equal the same answer? (laughs) Did I guess it right? Yeah. That is... (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, but here's the thing. Well, it wasn't going to be that completely. So what you do (laughs) is you tell somebody to... So this is just... I'm just letting you guys in on this. I'm totally exposing myself because now people are going to... Whenever I try this on my friends, they're going to be like... I listen to your podcast, know how you do it, but you get the... Oh, wait, sure. Are you going to be kicked out of the mentalist community for showing the tricks? They might not be happy. Is this like um, Magician's Secrets Revealed on Fox? Did you watch that when you were a kid? I'm the man in the mask, yeah. Yeah, okay. Mentalist uh, Tricks Revealed. Go ahead, Jor. So what you do is you ask people to guess a number between one and ten, and whatever that number is, usually it won't be one, but... Okay, so 1 in 10, so they times by 9, um, and so let's say you chose 5 times 9 is 45, and then you tell them to take those two numbers, uh, so if it's 45, tell them to add 4 and 5 together, mm-hmm. 
um, and then subtract five. Okay. Okay. So then what you do is you say, now choose the corresponding letter of the alphabet. So, um, if it was four, so that was four, right? Um, yeah. And so, yeah. So they'll count it up. So if it was four, they'd choose uh, D. D and you say, think of a country that starts with that letter. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. And now think of the following letter in the alphabet. Yeah. And think of an animal that starts with that letter. Okay. Okay. Now think about the color of that animal. Okay. And now I want you to picture that animal in that country that you thought of. Okay. Okay. All right. So gray elephants in Denmark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That so, is remarkable. <laughs> that is incredible. So the, the thing is, is that no matter what they choose, it's going to end up being four. Because if you add, if you, some, <laughs> if you multiply something by nine... Yeah. And then add those numbers together and just pack five. It will always end up being four. So um, there's not a lot of countries that start with the letter D. So they're, yeah. gonna, they're often going to... Most people will think Denmark. Yeah. And then often people will think of elephant when they think of E. Because there's not a lot of animals to start with E. Hopefully they don't choose like eagle or emu or something. Um, yeah. And that's how you do it. So, but you are playing odds. Because it's not going to work with everyone. Yeah. It's just going to work with most people. Yeah. And it works with me, which, in all honesty, I was even, I was just shocked. <laughs> like, you even though I knew it was a trick, me. I was You're still like, wow, me. you got it. <laughs> <laughs> Although, it is like, you know, when you, <laughs> you know when you go to someone's house for dinner and they have, like, a 10-year-old boy? It is something that, like, the 10-year-old boy will just come up and do to you at the dinner. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm just a joke. Jordan, to you. it is. <laughs> it, it, tell me it's not. This really hurts my feelings. <laughs> I spent a lot of time. <laughs> tell me it's not a 10 year old boy that's like, um, how, Jordan? You're like, yeah. He's like, uh, think of this. Like, all right. <laughs> yeah, they are. Kinda... I still think it's cool. I would think that 10 year old's amazing. It's kind of like a dad <laughs> trick a little bit. And actually, a lot of what mentalists do are just like kind of dad tricks like the you know when they like bend the spoon yeah it's like really a lot of it is just like angle and like what they do is they just like extend their hand like this slowly and then it looks like the spoon is bending but it's actually their hand that's bending stuff like that. really yeah whoa yeah uh what does olivia think do you uh she makes fun of me a lot wow has anybody not made fun of you about this um no <laughs> Everyone I've told has made fun of me, but I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to be the world's greatest mentalist and no one can stop me. You know, is David Blaine a mentalist? No, like mentalism is more kind of like guessing what people are thinking and stuff. But oh. some of it is really amazing. Like, like pe they'll pull someone from the audience and be like, think of your first love, like a random person from the audience. And they'll mm -hmm. just like stare at them and like guess the name. How? I don't know. I've been doing a lot of research and I don't really know how. Some people say that they talk to the people before the show, but th everybody swears that, like, he always asks, like, have we ever met before? And they say no. Or he'll, like, talk, walk up to people in the airport and do this, you know? Interesting. Because yeah. there is an old trick, which is, like, they have 
like guest cards that they have everybody fill out and then they go sit down. Yeah. You know, this is what profits do too, isn't it? Yeah, they, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, I watched, uh, YouTube compilations of religious fails. Oh, and it was just all like false prophets like that. You love that stuff. I do. (laughs) (laughs) I do love that stuff. It's cathartic. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) just siphoning your anger. Yeah. Yeah. And most of the time they're like exposed. So that it feels like there's justice. Yeah. Except, um, one of them is Benny Hinn. Oh, like he gets it wrong. Yeah, like his nephew is kind of like, I've never actually seen anybody get healed. He's like, it's all just stories. Oh. And you know how he's just like, fire, fire. Yeah. And the choir like falls over and stuff. Yeah. Well, I so I grew up, I was thinking about this because I was watching Religious Fails the other day. <laughs> I As went to a service. It wasn't Benny Hinn, but I went when I was like 10, I went to a church and they were doing the Slain in the Spirit stuff. Yeah. And um, I was really excited to be slain in the spirit. But here's the thing. I just made myself fall over, Jor. Yeah. It was totally voluntary. And so now I go, was everybody else just doing what I did? Or was I the only one? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, like, I remember one time getting prayed for by this lady. She was like, just a classic charismatic lady who... I always compare like classic charismatic ladies to Deanna Troy in Star Trek The Next Generation. I've never seen it. Oh, well, those of you Trekkies out there, I'll show you some (laughs) clips later. She is like, she is like made to be, uh, she is what charismatic ladies are. Anyway, and (laughs) they, she was praying for me and put her hand on my forehead. And I remember just like, I'm like not really the kind of person who would just like be like, I'm pretty skeptical guy. And so. I'm not going to like fall over. But I remember she just kept, she like pushed me and pushed me and yeah. I, and I kept like stepping back and like, and I was like, I don't think she's really going to give up until I fall. And so then I just fell just to make her feel okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here, here's the deal guys. If anybody out there uh, has actually been slain in the spirit and didn't, you know, do it like Jordan and I, I'd like to know because we should do an investigation to see if was it just peer pressure this whole time? Yeah. You can email TWTP TW TWPE TPE TWT WPE. That was the worst podcast. Worst podcast at gmail.com. Um okay, another religious fail is um there's the growing leg trick. Yeah. Where they go you know that one? Well, I've, I've heard a lot about people seeing legs grow back in their hands and stuff. Well, this one is like, oh, your left leg is a little shorter than your right leg. Let's start praying. And then what the person does is they just start kind of pulling your shoe off a little bit. You're, so it looks like your leg is growing. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but this is what's <laughs> crazy, Jordan. When I went to church in Newcastle, Australia... A Christian evangelical church, a guy came, did healings, and he did that trick. At this just run-of-the-mill church. And I'm like, he was a fraud. Wow. 
Isn't that terrible? Do, have you ever seen anything miraculous? Uh, well, I did see him grow that leg a little bit, but then I found out it was a trick. Yeah. Um, nothing, you know, I've, I've had experiences, mystical experiences. Yeah. But um, I can't say like a miraculous experience that is uh, like certifiable. Yeah. You know? But uh, I like I know that I get skeptical on here, but that's just because the the corrupt things really really ruin religion. But I'm open to mystical things and things that I don't know, and I've had weird experiences. But no, I've never really seen a healing that I can say like that was a miraculous healing. Yeah, but so I've I have met, met people that say that they have. Yeah, I, I have met people who I know well. I know, ha- oh, I know one person who I know had cancer, mm-hmm. um, and she uh, said she says that she was miraculously healed, and her cancer did go away. Um, yeah. But the other thing is like the problem with like the whole Bethel culture thing is that the, you're kind of like obligated to have faith, and so for right. you to and they separate the the natural from the supernatural in this really weird way, and so mm-hmm. if you don't kind of if you don't report the supernatural it's seen as faithlessness Mm -hmm. and so that can just cause a lot of big (laughs) that can be pretty problematic when you're actually trying to figure out what happened you know oh yeah i i uh i'll put my cards on the table i i grew up in not in bethel but in like a bethel type culture and now i'm just it's really not my favorite thing at the moment yeah because the idea in some ways is like I'm depressed and so it's like we cast out the spirit of depression and loneliness you shall not pass and then (laughs) but you know there's also like oh why are you feeling depressed and like like community and like you know like it's not just like you said it's it's like as if everything is just this sp- mystical spiritual realm and speaking these words kind of fix everything. But it's like people are depressed and anxious and they may not need somebody prophesying. They may just need somebody to sit with them, you know, and like, but that, that is good and true and godly and wonderful too. And that might be the way that we heal in a world that has first world nations that has medical care is is just to like love people instead of like i've also heard that if you're in a wheelchair in reading that a 19 year old like once a week stops you to try and get you out of your wheelchair yeah. and it's like horrific to live in a wheelchair in reading yeah there's stuff like that where i just i can't help but be honest and just be like it's making me a little sour just kind of yeah a little sour about about it and so par- probably the pendulum has swung too much um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I'd rather, yeah, I don't know. I think the problem rather, is just kind of creating a culture and a formula around it. You know, yeah. it's, it's not, I actually think most people are really open to like mystical and, and miraculous things happening. You know, yeah. I, I just think to me, it's when you try to make it not, when you try to take the mystery out of it, 
yeah. and just make it into this, yeah, like formula that you kind of follow and source everyone like, this is a place of healing. We expect healing in Jesus name. Mm-hmm. Then it, it's just like, uh, it just becomes flaky and silly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I mean, I think we're spiritual beings, but I, I think we can't deny that like the way to heal a human being is not just a 30 minute prayer time, you know, like it takes more commitment and love and work. And I don't know, you know, it's like in the, like that, I guess the thing that maybe I'm picking on too much is, you know, in 2020, when, when racism was the biggest conversation, this clip went around and I, I don't know where it was. Maybe it was at Bethel. It was at Bethel. But they yeah. just had like a, a "you shall not pass," yeah. and they all held like a Gandalf staff and like slammed it down. And they're like, "We fixed racism at Bethel," or you know. And it's like, no, you didn't. It's like you didn't. You just performed something. You know. I guess to me, that's not. That's not. That's not it. Yeah. So, I think that one of the problems too is that charismatic charismaticism has made like something that is actually t- maybe symbolic into like something functional, you know, like, Oh it, yeah, that's good. Yeah. It's like, if you, a prayer is often just like symbolic. Uh, it's a sim- mm-hmm. it's symbolism of like, maybe like your demeanor towards someone or like your, uh, I don't know, like even just like the prophetic, I guess, if you want to call it that or the, or the contemplative can be yeah. the mystical can be, like a, a symbolic action between two people. Um, and I think those that we actually need those things. And I think we need more of those things actually in our mm-hmm. world. The problem is when you say like, take, take something like prophecy, <laughs> which maybe that could have been, a, uh, I mean, I still think it's kind of weird, but maybe that could have been like a symbolic action, but it's kind of kind of like, we're actually doing some, we're actually doing something functional here. It's actually going to change the world. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like that, that is where I think it's, big problem i yeah maybe i just feel guilty for being so cynical but at the same time yeah anyway did you watch the hillsong documentary jor no you know what i am Are you cynical enough <laughs> i'm cynical enough i'm like i actually am surprisingly somebody who wants to like remain religious and yeah. i think that's I, I i definitely have left evangelicalism but uh i i actually think religion has is immensely valuable. And I think that mm-hmm. in this time in history, we are the most blind to its value. And mm-hmm. so, uh, I feel like watching stuff like that just really kills my ambition. Yeah. It's just too much. Yeah. Well, I'm a pastor. Obviously I like religion. I, l- I love Christianity. I love the Bible and Jesus Christ and I teach on it every week, but for whatever reason, I, I'm, I can hold, somehow hold the two separate. I can be like, I can watch the Hillsong doc and get really angry at what happened there, but without it being like, all religion is bogus and stupid. And, yeah. Because even in the Hillsong documentary, the lowest level of every church, you know, the people that volunteer, the people that put out the chairs, you're getting incredible, real amazing people that really believe and really love yeah it's just they're at the bottom of these organizations not at the top yeah like there's i at our church 
that I lead, there's so many beautiful, wonderful people. And it's kept me from like this blanket, like it's religion that's bad or it's Christianity right. that's bad. You're the asshole at the top, but the other people at the bottom. Are... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. The, and truly the only one. Yeah. Yeah. And I make sure people know it. Speaking of assholes, I heard that Annabelle's listening to this podcast now, your daughter. Yeah. So Annabelle's 11. And I set her up with Spotify. Yeah. And she was so excited as an 11-year-old because she doesn't have a cell phone and um, she doesn't do Snapchat or whatever. But she has Spotify and she's listening to music. And one day she was at dinner. She goes, Dad, I've been listening to your podcast. And I just immediately was like, oh, no. (laughs) Like, you're not ready to listen to Daddy's podcast. Oh, really? So you don't let her? Well, I said... it was more Courtney, actually. And as I was walking upstairs to record this today, Courtney said, be clean. Yeah. Because Annabelle can listen. But, <laughs> but I swear. An- Annabelle, this podcast not for you. This is Daddy's Little Passion Project. <laughs> and uh, if you're listening, wait till you're 15. This is, you know, this is PG-13 material. Yeah. And when I swear, I'm just doing it ironically. I don't mean That's it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And when I'm when I swear, it's to give off the air that although I'm a pastor, I'm approachable and cool. So that's why I'm swearing. Annabelle. Yeah. Wait, did I say speaking of assholes? I heard you let your daughter listen to this podcast. <laughs> did I say that? <laughs> yeah, like I'm the asshole <laughs> that no, gave my daughter's father. I was what I was actually thinking in my head, but didn't communicate. Is it's like, a swear word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, actually, I didn't skip a beat because that's what I assumed too. Okay, okay. but now that you mentioned it, speaking of assholes, I heard you'd let your daughter listen to our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is funny. Well, George, should we get into your album? Let's do it. Okay, when we get back, we're diving in to Jordan Clausen's 2022 release, Glossolalia. Welcome back to the, that was the worst podcast ever, that today is the best podcast ever because we're (laughs) talking about me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I mean, I don't know what else to say from there because... Well, okay. Well, let me take the wheel because, uh, yeah, I don't want you to get stuck talking to yourself. You know what I want to do, George? I, w- I want to go song by song, track by track. Okay. And I want to talk to you about it. So let's just dive in. Let's start with the opening track, Lotus Land. So, Jordan, this is your love song to Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Would you say that? Yeah, it's an ode to Vancouver for sure. Okay, so tell us, why. what was the story behind writing this song? 
You just love Vancouver? Gosh, we know. Um, no, I think it was more kind of like, I um, do love Vancouver, but I also just love like hometown love songs, like yeah. odes to hometowns. Like um, the Weaker Thans have this song, One, One Great City, I think it's called. Yeah, you know I that love one? that song. Yeah. Um, and it, beca- it became like the Winnipeg song. Yes, exactly. Um, so is Lotus Land, did it become the Vancouver song? Yeah, and I... I did they play it during the playoffs or whatever? <laughs> yeah, um, so um, during the the soccer games here, uh, the Whitecaps, <laughs> when the team's running out, they play this song. And everybody Can you imagine? starts crying. <laughs> yeah, the team is just <laughs> weeping as they're running out. Um, um, what yeah. about, isn't the Vancouver song that... That lady, that older lady that you showed us? Vancouver. Um, oh, yeah, in Vancouver. Yeah. So you are basically through your hat in the ring, and you're totally in competition with her. Yeah. Do you want to know what's funny? Actually, I was telling Olivia the other day, like, I would love to cover that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you just should. because it would be funny. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, Lotus Land is about... Uh, it's about... I think... Um, a problem that a lot of Vancouverites have, which is just kind of like loving the place you live so much, but then also kind of hating it or feeling like the city itself has like a will to drive you out of it. Mm, it's just yeah. so difficult. It's such a difficult place to live in so many ways. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's kind of the idea behind it. Lotus Land is an old nickname for Vancouver. Is it is it like the Weaker Than song where it's bittersweet, where you're kind of at the same time putting down Vancouver along with showing your love for it? I mean, I think that my lyrics are a lot more abstract than, um, what's his name, Samson. Yeah. Actually, Jordan, your lyrics are more esoteric to the point where the only person that really understands them is you. But, no, that's true. But for in some cases. Yeah. But this album... I think is more literal than most of your oh songs. Yeah, that's good. It, was Thank that intentional? You. Yeah, I think that I you uh, I usually it's easy. Well, it's not. It's easy for me to be esoteric and so to actually kind of like give glimpses of like real meaning and tie those into the abstract. I think is it makes a better song. And I actually I think someone like. Yeah. Well, Leonard Cohen is like my lyrical hero. And so ah. he does that kind of thing a lot where he'll, yeah, I don't know. He'll, he'll put in a line that kind of gives the song away and then it ties everything else together. And you're like, oh yeah, that suddenly makes so much more sense. And so I've been trying to do that more. I think in Lotus Land, it's when you say Vancouver, did you see, or what do you say? Vancouver, do you bleed? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Which but is pretty just it—it it was like, oh, Lotus Land is Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Which is cool because it is cool to know that that's what it's about. Yeah, but isn't your hometown Calgary? No, <laughs> no. I mean, really, technically, my hometown is probably Abbotsford. Yeah, but I love the Calgs. I love that that show we played there a little while ago was just awesome. Yeah, I missed your set, unfortunately. I- Sorry about that, but yeah. I did get to hang out with you guys. Yeah. It was a great, the, the end of the tour, that was great. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you something. Mm. 
Oh, if you did write a song about Abbotsford, I think that would have been the song of Abbotsford. Yeah. I think you kind of messed up there. Because I think if you did it about Abbotsford, it, yeah, it would have been the town song. But Abbotsford is like such an ugly word, isn't it? Abbotsford, do you bleed? Abbotsford. It's like so hard. And, Abbotsford. Yeah. So I guess Vancouver isn't that that pretty of a word either, though. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Ab- Calgary is actually a ni- much nicer word to sing. Yeah, but Bon Iver or- already covered yeah, us. it's true. <laughs> what a weird guy. Yeah. He's like, never been there, just fascinating place. <laughs> He's yeah. like, just interested me. You want to talk about esoteric. I think that was esoteric, like what he said. Yeah. What? You want to talk about esoteric. There you go. I've like listened well, to videos where they talk about how he makes his records and like they have recordings of him like, rolling like with his friend like rolling barrels in the studio and just screaming (laughs) it's like this is (laughs) our experiment his creative process yeah well the album versus album guys explained to me on twitter that he just he almost just writes melodies with gibberish and then just tries to fit in real words when he can yeah so he is purposefully, because it's like, only love is all maroon, gluey feathers on the flume. Yeah. Or like, I'm in the back with the racks and I'm unstacking my loads. <laughs> what is he talking about? Anyway, we're not here to talk about Justin Vernon. He's doing fine. Yeah. Unstacking your loads. That sounds very sexual. Yeah, you would say that. And Annabelle, go to bed. (laughs) Okay. um, Oh, now we go on to Milk and Honey. Mm. Oh, and I got to say, Jor, with this album, it's a really enjoyable album to listen to all the way through. Oh, yeah. Thank you. You've really got, uh, like, a nice variety. I think the track order you did is good. You've got some bangers at the end to look forward to. I don't know. It's a good album. Thanks. Okay. So I do have a question about Milk and Honey. Okay. And I think your telling line in this one is, the boys in East Strathcona drink alone? Live alone. Live alone. And something about cryptocurrency? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So... We're back in Vancouver. You can't get over this That's true. city. Oh, man, I can't. I didn't. I never even made that connection. It's true. There is another Vancouver reference right there. Because East Strathcona is what? It's where I live. Oh, okay. So what's that reference? What are you referencing? Um, it's probably going to be disappointing, but... No, I. Um, well, the song itself is about waiting and about kind of waiting... Um, I guess it's exploring the idea of waiting, and I think that... The, the place I live in and the kind of progressive circles I dwell in, everyone's kind of waiting for this utopia, it feels like, to come. Yeah. And I don't know. It's like, yeah, you're, you're biding time for milk and honey. Um, oh. You know, you're biding time for the promised land to finally be here or something. It's actually a pretty kind of a cynical song. Um, yeah. And yeah, I guess the boys of East Strathcona live alone with their visions of utopia and cell phones. Just waiting on the world to change. Um, Thursday nights we meet at the Legion. Oh yeah. Swapping Do you meet at the Legion? Tip. No. <laughs> S- 
<laughs> Swapping it trading tips cool. for crypto and revolution. We drink all night to hold our gains. It's, it's basically like me saying, it's kind of me poking fun at like millennials a little bit, you know? Like, oh, yeah. we're like, we all have these visions of utopia, but we just live alone with our cell phones. And yeah. um, really, the only revolution we know is like the crypto revolution. Um, and we don't really, nothing costs us anything really. Um, yeah, that's the idea. Wow. Yeah. That's good, Jor. Yeah. Thanks. And you released this as a single. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the first single. Who's playing drums on this track? Uh, I I am. Really? Mm-hmm. Good job, Jor. Thanks. A lot of the drums, though, are, like, um, samples. They're not. Oh, yeah. Like, the first drums that come in, the really kind of distorted sounding ones. Those are actually from an old Mellotron sample. So they're, like, 60s tape recordings of drums that we played on the keyboard. Oh, cool. Yeah. And who uh, who produced it? Um, Jonathan Anderson. He's, he's kind of who I work with. He's kind of my Nigel Godrick, if you will. <laughs> I don't know who Nigel Godrick is. Oh, he does all the Radiohead records. Oh. <laughs> and Tom York only works with him. Well, there were some things I noticed on your record that I really like. There's some songs that feel uh, almost like classic pop songs. Mm. And I can't remember which song, but at, on one song you do the fade out. Yeah. I love the That's fade out. That's a fun throwback, Jor. Yeah, I love the fade out. Yeah, I do too. I did really appreciate that. Okay, Jor, then track three. This is my favorite on the album. It's oh, yeah. Hard on Myself. Yeah. I just think this is one of your most beautiful songs. Oh, thanks. And I, It's my favorite it's, too. Um, okay, so I was out in the hammock. And actually, I was listening to your album while the roofers were looking at me. Hmm. And I got, I didn't shed a tear, but my eyes filled with more tears than usual <laughs> at some moments. Yeah, because our eyes always have some tears in them, right? That's how you, they stay moist. Yeah, and yeah. none of the tears came out, but they were like, let's just add a little bit more. Yeah. I think, okay, I'm going to submit this to you, but this feels like, I know that you've gone through a lot. Like there's this. What is it? There's a crow spewing some black blasphemy, or what is it? There's a crow out in the yard. That a crow greets the dawn. He's squawking some dark blasphemy. Yeah. Is that a metaphor for kind of like intrusive thoughts and mental mm -hmm. health and mm -hmm. those things yeah. that you've been living with? Yeah. But I think what, what makes me a little misty is that this song is so hopeful. Mm. Very hopeful. Mm -hmm. And so it, it kind of acknowledges the difficulty of, of some of the things you've had to deal with, but also just it looks at all the beauty that you have and, and it talks about the, the tools that you have that you might be able to make it through. Mm -hmm. Am I getting it right? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, um, yeah I'm most proud of, this, of these lyrics of any song I've put out probably. Because I feel like it just like really describes my, you know, my maybe not my whole life, but certainly my current life really well. Mm. That I just kind of tor feel torn between these two worlds of like one of like kind of the way I was raised with this kind of very rigid uh, 
and violent philosophy mm. Mm. Um, in, in the kind of religion that I w- grew up with. And then on the other hand, being like, I also kind of don't want pure chaos. Right. Mm. And whereas I see a lot of my friends kind of moving in that direction, I'm just kind of like, yeah. and so, yeah, like I really like that line, like, love is a claim but if it's all the same I'd still like to know a few things mm-hmm. and that is kind of me being like I still want to order my life around something and so the, the song is kind of about the, the tension between those two things and choosing mm-hmm. a third way hmm yeah so good sure and uh, and it's called Heart of Myself and I think you're talking about trying to go easier on yourself too mm-hmm and you talk about uh, Italy with Olivia. Mm-hmm. What's Going the uh, lyric there? Now, is this in reference to your honeymoon? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying my best to remember the nights we went walking in Rome. And warm were the winds as the ships floated in and I wasn't searching for home. Oh, man, it's just so good. Uh, it's just such a great way to, to give the feeling of the moment where you actually do feel okay. That you can remember Mm-hmm. Like, that's when I remember I, I felt okay. I didn't, you know, uh, I wasn't worried then. I don't yeah. know. It's just so good. And I, it also gives this nice mental picture of Rome and you and Olivia walking. I don't know. It's, it's just, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I've re- this album's an enjoyable one to put headphones on and actually just listen to the lyrics. Um, yeah, so that's my favorite one. And then track four carried away and this is jordan honestly every track is good there isn't one that's like oof yeah Uh, oh thanks but this this one i really like about i think in reference to this is what i assume is uh the potential for revival really good uh lyric writing and we just thought we were anointed and we got carried away Mm-hmm. And I just thought, oh, Jordan, I like, uh, I think I know you're talking about experiences in the church. And, but I just, yeah, I just go, what an interesting way to frame it. Like, we got carried away, you know, yeah. in, in reflection. But do, do you want to give more context to that? Or am I even interpreting it right? Yeah, I think, I think the song is just about, it's just about that. It's just about exploring what it means to get carried away with something. Mm-hmm. And how, like, often that's very dark, and then often that can be good, actually. I, the last verse I wanted, I don't know if I did a good job of it, but I wanted to kind of communicate this idea of, like, someone living, like, and giving their life away to the poor, you know? Or, mm-hmm. um, like, there's so many amazing people who live and work in the downtown east side, and mm-hmm. um, that, in a sense, they kind of got carried away with something, you know? And so... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so kind like of getting carried away. Are you saying like it's not bad to get carried away? It's not always bad. It, it, it's just so. It's like there's like a yin yang for everything, you know. Sometimes it's good, and there's a healthy way to get carried away with something. In some ways, you know, like marriages need to get carried away with something. Yeah. Sometimes you need to have like some kind of like passion here and there. Oh yeah. But then you also need and to have order, and um, so yeah, it's about exploring the other the many facets of getting carried away. Wow. And what's in your mind when you say there was this like obsession with revival or we, we wanted to see this revival and we got carried away? Or is that too personal? No, I, I, I'm just 
remembering uh, I, like yeah like my teenage years and my and a lot mostly like my time in Calgary yeah uh, and kind of involved in the charismatic stuff it's just really uh, yeah I, we did just get carried away we didn't we weren't it was like we weren't even allowed to think critically about it yeah and so of course then you get carried away yeah but I think we're so hard on ourselves too because what I remember is we also fed people and we gave away jackets and and Mm -hmm. you know we we made sandwiches with Nathan and Vanya and Adam you know and uh but I remember the leadership telling me that I was making social justice into a god. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, is there a theme to this album, Jor? Um, it's probably one of my least thematic albums that I've made, hmm. I think. If there, if there are, it's like uh, kind of that idea that I was just saying about like yin yeah. and yang of like that everything has a dark side and a light side and kind of looking at the the at the different sides of certain things Mm -hmm. um yeah i I don't really know other than that i i actually that's one of the reasons why i called the record glossolalias because it kind of just feels a bit more like a stream of consciousness like every song Mm. is just kind of a little bit of like a i don't know a little stone in my collection of what my life is right now so yeah yeah because Right now, it seems like the theme is wrestling with the past and identity and what what you knew then that doesn't work now. And I, I think it's very c- contemporary, meaning like it feels like a 2022 album mm-hmm. where you're wrestling with life right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I'm on to track five, Good Intentions. This is has the little... Yeah. Yeah, a little. Tell arpeggio. us what is the ba doop doop. You know, a lot of work went into that ba doop. It's cool. It's, it's um, yeah. It's just actually Taylor helps me set it up, but yeah, it's it's just a uh, a lot of different sounds kind of melded together. Um, some piano sounds, uh, but we just kind of spent a lot of time kind of finessing it. I, I wanted it to just sound like Enya, really. Yeah, and yeah, Enya uses those kind of arpeggiating synths a lot, and yeah. so it it would be like too much to explain. But it's about like ten different uh, software instruments all kind of put together through an arpeggiator, which is just something that makes it do that rhythmic, oh yeah, arpeggios kind of thing. Yeah. Well, the other reason to listen to this album with headphones is just because of how it's produced and how many little accents and tracks you've added. It's fun to notice the the arrangement. Even here with the uh, the toms. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, you're not listening, but I am. But you know what I'm talking about. And then eventually, it opens up into like a a dance beat, like a yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, this is weird. I, I feel weird, kind of like talking about my record the way we talk about a Sufjan record. But <laughs> um, oh, it's too late. We're you're doing. Um, but uh, that little tom beat is actually a polyrhythm, so it's actually moving in. To, to go, I think it's moving in five over four. Yeah, 
Yeah. And so it's it's like never the same. You know, it's not it's never hitting the same part of the song as it goes. Anyway, I, I really like that. But uh, that is cool. Yeah. And you have uh, great strings on this album too. Oh yeah. Who is doing the arrangements and the playing for that? Um. So the first song, Lotus Land. Uh, Brian and Caleb Chan, who are like my good buddies, and they have played on almost all my records, maybe all my records. They they came in and did uh, uh, all. We wrote the Lotus Land arrangement together, and like they performed it as we wrote it, kind of thing at my studio. Wow. Um, but then everything else I just wrote, and then I brought in a quartet called Black Dog. Wow, so cool, George. Then there's Brothers in Arms. Oh yeah, which is that nice little shuffle on the snare. <laughs> um, I like, there's certain songs in this record, this is when it, it seems a bit of an homage or nostalgic to music I think that our parents listen to. Yeah. What do you think, George? Is that accurate? Yeah, I think that well, you're not supposed to call it world music anymore, but when, when we grew up, it was called world music. Yeah. And lots of, like, Christian worship music used it. But I actually think it, maybe it already has made a comeback, but I think it's like, it's a little, maybe people are a little afraid to delve into it because of the whole, like, appropriation conversation. Right. Um, but I just think it's a great kind of music, actually. Music that feels... Like it's not like Western, you know. Yeah. But then, but then it uses Western structures, right? Um, so yeah, and and I actually brought in one of the stars of this album, Jason Winnikoff. Oh yeah. Um, and he uh, is just a hand percussion player, and he played on a lot of the songs. And he's like so good. He trained in Zambia, and wow. um, he's really amazing. So yeah, I really wanted to incorporate that album because I just don't hear a lot of it. Like when like now. Because we grew up with like djembes yeah. all the time, like they're so uncool. But yeah. then I'm like, actually, what if you like? Maybe it's so uncool. Maybe hand percussion now is so uncool that it could be cool again. You know? Well, I noticed on the last track, which why don't I? Sleeper in the cabin. Yeah. There, I it made me smile, Jor, because there is a little. It sounds like a little bongo part. Yeah. Where it's just like. Yeah. Or like something like that. And it made me smile. I just thought I love that that's in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and Brother in Arms has this great chorus that really opens up, and you really layer your own harmonies for that chorus. Yeah. And it does give it almost an Enya feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, actually, you know, something nice, an interesting piece of trivia about this song is that I actually wrote the song for Tell Me What To Do. So my last Mm. record, it was in those sessions, but I wrote the song, the verses were all different lyrics, and the chorus said, there's still time to live our days as mother and son. Mm -hmm. Um, But I always just kind of felt like that was a little bit too maybe specific. Yeah. Something. And yeah. so then I was like, I changed it to Brother in Arms, but we really liked the way that I sang the chorus. So, so when I sing 
Brothers in Arms. So still time to live our days with Brothers in Arms. That's yeah. actually an overdub two years later that I sing wow. Brothers in Arms. And you're saying and Mothers and Sons. I was saying Mothers and Sons, so we overdubbed that. But the other parts are were recorded like years earlier. Oh wow! And obviously. The mother, there's more time to live as mothers and sons that's addressing your mom's health and cancer battle and everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, kind of. My my, gra- my grandma passed away like 10 years ago, I guess, but it was like pretty traumatic and hard for my dad. And she's passed away suddenly and he was there. And so, um, mm. yeah. So it was, it was a little bit about that too. Wow. That's yeah. good. And you changed it to brother in arms because of your anti-vaccine stance. I don't get it. I don't know. Just being brothers in arms. On oh, yeah. <laughs> right. You were a united front like, standing against government Yeah, just protesting tyranny. restrictions yeah. and stuff. That's what it, it is about. It's <laughs> still time to... Put away those mandates we hate, those <laughs> mandates we hate. Ah, <laughs> oh, gosh. Too good. Yeah. Okay, now we get to Pangea. And Jordan, there, okay, here's the thing. Jordan's got a way about him where he will not just do a song in a regular way. So with Pangea, we get this... Yeah. I mean, when I do it, it's horrendous, but it adds this cool, like, uh, I don't know, this cool little vibe to the song. So tell us about that, George. Did you record it once and then just loop it? Uh, no, so that's the reason why that sounds so breathy and weird is we just put it through some weird distortion. I'm actually just going, uh. But um, all the vocals were done with, you know those, you know, scotch case, those circular tubes? What? Scotch? You know, like, you know, you know, bottles of scotch come in like cases. Oh, yeah. So we, we took one, popped out the bottom, and then I sang all the vocals. Oh, like this through to give it the, an, an echo. To give it like a more of a nasally sound like this. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, now, Pangea is the name for when everything was one continent, right? Yeah. So what are you symbolizing with that? Yeah, this is really nerdy. The song is for sure the most nerdy, and I almost feel weird telling people. Like you don't even about. want to tell us what it's about? Well, it's it's a lot of it is about kind of my own fascination with kind of like, like ancient traditional Christianity and uh, orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea that there was one point where the church wasn't fragmented into all these different parts. Uh, it, it was all kind of one Pangea. Mm. Um, and so then... And then, and then I go on to kind of um, talk about how I tend to just fetishize the past. And mm-hmm. that, you know, history tatters when you pull the threads. Nothing's actually, nothing's actually, no time in history was that good. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. So that's kind of what this album Wow, so Pangea is a metaphor for like when everything was together and unified, before things were separated. Yeah. Very cool, Jor. I think Heart of Myself is my favorite track, but every time Ash Wednesday comes on, I think, no, this is probably my favorite track. Mm. This, yeah, this song is just great. And so 
I talked to you about this before, but I go, your voice sounds a little different. And then you told me it was, you originally wrote it faster, right? Yeah. Was it meant it in- to be a bit of like a, more of a, an upbeat banger? Yeah, it was like in the same tempo as Call Me Maybe. Oh, okay. Um, and it was more, kind of, it wasn't a banger. Like, I don't really But what would it sound like? Like, give us a bar. It would be like, dum, 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 because I can taste it. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, and so it had like a, a beat to it. Yeah, like it was going to be just kind of like piano and bass and drums. But then I uh, I brought it in and it just, John was just kind of like, it's a really good melody, but I just don't really like the arrangement that much. And I kind of mm. agreed. So we're like, what if we tried it on the piano? We did a lot of just kind of dicking around. And so then I when I went to the piano and we really liked what I was doing, I was like, oh, this is the right key too. But we actually recorded the song I mean, the demo I made of the fast version, it was higher. And so we were like, well, we, we need a vocal reference. So let's just pop this vocal in and then just pitch it down to two semitones or a whole tone. Um, and then I just kind of got used to it. And I liked how low the vocal was. <laughs> so yeah, it sounds really cool. It's a little bit like, yeah, like uh, that. It's like, uh, do you remember the talk boy from Home Alone 2? Yeah. Hey kids, we're home early. Yeah, yeah. It's like you did the talk boy. Yeah. And then then I got Olivia to come in and sing just in her regular voice. So she's doing all the harmonies. Yeah, so I was wondering about that. So she's she's in the normal speed, normal pitch, harmonizing to you being slowed down. Yeah. And Olivia sings on Nico and Ash Wednesday. Any others? Mm -hmm. No, those two. Yeah, because so... Uh, Olivia is Jordan's wife, obviously, mm-hmm. the indie wife. Mm-hmm. You guys sound great together. Oh, thanks. She has an amazing voice. She is, I've said this before, but she's the most talent. She's the most, like, unknowingly talented person that I know. She's, like, yeah, I would so, agree. such an amazing singer and writer and, and actually, like, poetry writer, too. But yeah. she just thinks that she sucks. So no one ever hears her which is just so such a tragedy to me. That is sad. Yeah. Yeah, she should get some more confidence. Olivia, if you're listening, release yeah. it. Yeah. Um, how come only two? Why don't you just get her to sing on every single one? Uh, I don't really know. I like the so- song one is this singer-songwriter who you should check out from Vancouver called Sam Lynch. She sung the harmonies. Oh, cool. She's she's amazing. Um, and I just always wanted to work with her. And so I asked her and then my friend, Alex Malo is like, she wrote all the har- harmony parts for, um, milk and honey and heart of myself. Oh, cool. Um, and so, yeah. And I, sh- she's, she is also an amazingly talented person. So, yeah. Yeah. You've had, you have great, uh, accompanying singers on this record. And so right after Ash Wednesday, this is what I love about this album. You get Nico, which kind of putting Jordan on the map this year. This is a big hit. Nico. Thanks, man. Really took off. The CBC played it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it did Jordan, really well. It, it, it I know this now. is probably the most uncomfortable thing to talk about, but this song did pretty well. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually is my first song to chart on the national charts. Yeah, that's awesome. I had people just be like, I heard your friend's song on the radio. (laughs) Just like random people. Nice. 
and uh, it features the Long and McQuaid beat. Yeah, well, actually, I kind of simplified it a little bit, but the Pangea has more of that beat. It goes, it actually literally goes, dun dun cut, duga duga dun cut. But there, um, there is something really um, simple and beautiful about this song. I remember talking about Sufjan Stevens, a song like Romulus, where it's just the same chords throughout mm-hmm. the whole song. Mm-hmm. And you said, yeah, that's, it's interesting to do that. And then you did it. Like you're like, yeah, that's cool. Sufjan did it. And then this is, you did it. It's the same. I mean, there is a chord change at some point for the I know that that's different. But yeah. Or it goes to double time and then, yeah. But yeah, you're right. And I think that's really hard to do. It's easier to like make a chorus feel like it lifts if you change the chord. Yeah. But, but you don't. I, yeah, I didn't want to. I wanted to try to write something. And actually, <laughs> um, anyway, the, the, the bridge part. Nico says. I was actually going to. That was actually going to be the chorus. And Nico is going to be the pre-chorus. Oh. But then somebody, I think Simon came in and he's like, you should just, you should just have that pre-chorus as the chorus and then just do the, that other thing one time as the bridge. And I was like, oh yeah, that was way better idea. Yeah. He was right. Yeah. Cause that, if that was just the pre-chorus, that's, that's a banging melody. Like that's the chorus. Yeah. And yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But this is a great song, George. We, we've gone over the meaning in a meaning in a previous episode. But again, it, it is kind of like a song about the times we're going through and misinformation and people believing whatever they want to believe, yeah. even when facts are there and watching, watching people that used to we not feel divided with now are kind of go off and look at conspiracies. And so it's about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great. I love the beat. Um, and then... We go to the last track, which is Sleeper in the Cabin. Yeah, really beautiful uh, guitar picking on this record, Jor. Oh, thank you. I'm a big fan of acoustic guitar picking like this. Somebody said that that, that, that song reminds them of Zelda. Oh, like, really? Like Dooku's Cave or something. <laughs> Were you like, I've never been more excited about a compliment yeah, in my life? Yeah, that is the ultimate compliment you can give me. I love <laughs> Zelda. <laughs> You're like, that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said. Um, yeah. What's this song about, Jor? Um, it's about that feeling of like, uh, I guess in some ways it's kind of a spiritual song a little bit about kind of like my relationship to divinity and kind of feeling like God is very hidden hmm. and kind of often feeling like uncertain about everything you know um, but then also realizing that I'm I'm also hiding myself away hmm. and so that's kind of the, the idea it's like there's this dichotomy of like um, in most memories you were hiding from me and, but oh, then yeah. the second part goes deep down. I knew I was hiding from you. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's that. And then at the end is like, I smell a feast in the woods. It's about like leaving the cabin and kind of 
moving out into the, the great unknown or something. And this song takes that journey musically, too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which is a fun way to end the, the album. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. This is another one that I recorded for Tell Me What To Do, and then it ended up on this record. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, what were your influences for this record? I know that Enya's one, for sure, but were there any other things you were listening to or artists... You, you mentioned Leonard Cohen more as like a lyric structure way or yeah. at least like balancing the metaphor with the literal but yeah what other influences did you take into this album uh yeah that's a good question i think is it fair to say that this might be like my least influenced album like mm-hmm. I I consciously thought anyway of influences the least. I knew what I wanted to do musically. I wanted to do something soft, like I did with Tell Me What to Do, but with more kind of sonic experimentation, mm-hmm. more like guitar pedals and weirdness and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, I guess. Um, huh, let me think about that. Yeah, I mean, Sufjan is for sure always an influence. And that Carrie and Lowell record is still like a something that I think about a lot when I'm writing. Hmm. What else? Uh, I had one Radiohead moment, and I can't remember which song or where, but just a moment where I was like, oh, that sounds a little bit like Radiohead. But that's hmm. just a given, because these are your favorite artists, or these are the most influential artists on you. But I don't even think, nobody's going to listen to this record and be like, oh, it sounds like Radiohead. But I was just thinking of one specific moment. Which, which, Which one's that? I can't remember. I was in the hammock. Oh, do you know who was an influence was Aldous Harding? Oh, that's um, the in- instrumental guy? No, it's a lady from New Zealand. She's a singer-songwriter. Way off. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone should go, if you are interested, go watch, go listen to The Barrel by Aldous Harding. Um, but yeah, that she is like, kind of does like organic singer-songwriter, but it's kind of weird and, but it's really clean sounding still too. Mm. It's not like... Um, but it's really weird. Uh, we talked about her a lot. Um, I, I think about Nick Drake a lot too. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I really just do love the way that he puts, um, the way that he, his songs are actually like super classical, you mm-hmm. know, like they have all these interesting chord structures and stuff, but then they, and, and great guitar parts, great guitar picking, mm-hmm. but um, great guitar sounds on his yeah. songs, incredible. Totally. And so I wanted to do, and so often I try and kind of emulate that too. Yeah. And then I, I also I, I know this is a, an influence. Maybe I've talked about it before, but this guy called Gregory Allen Isakov, like I really love one of his re- record. The Weatherman is like something I listen to so much, and he also just kind of he writes like Americana, but it's like kind of ethereal Americana or something. Mm. Yeah. And tell us about the album art, too. It's got this, like, I would call it 1990s hotel room art, <laughs> cover art. <laughs> yeah. Is that offensive? No, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's got this, like, kind of abstracty modern art, but modern if you were in the 90s. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of like Euro, almost like like Eastern European. Oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, but yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, so basically, there is a artist. So I follow a lot of like the one of the things I like about Instagram is that there's like a lot of great artist accounts, 
um, like like artists, like visual artists, and you can just so that's what mostly what I f- follow. Oh, it's N N S C N I E, and the guy's name is Bartok or Bartek Bartok. So this He's is just po- a, this is a guy who you find on Instagram. Yeah, and you, and I, you just like has, what he does. Yeah, and he has 760 followers. He lives in Poland, and I just was like, this is. I love his art. Like you, everyone should go and check it out. It's just how'd so, you find it? I think I, like I just follow another artist account, and some art other artists like posted some of his work. Oh. Um. And so you just DM, you DM'd him on Instagram and said, "Would you design my album art?" Yeah. Wow. It was Were you simple. excited that he agreed? Yeah, I mean, it's it's what's amazing is that he actually is like not that well known, like only seven hundred and sixty followers. But mm-hmm. um, how many have like, followed him since doing your album? It's seven hundred sixty-two. <laughs> wow! Thanks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Are you looking at his account right now? What? Are you looking at his account? No. Oh. No, I was oh, just kidding. Okay. I just wanted to make fun of you a little bit. Yeah, you're. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you're an asshole. Um. Yeah. So anyway, I I asked him and he said yes. I sent him the record and and he just sent me something back that was awesome. I think the only thing we we might have asked him to change the font, but other than that, it was wow, awesome first time. Yeah. Did you tell him he had to be listening to your album while he designed it? Yeah, I was like, it, this has to be inspired by my album. <laughs> Well, it turned out great. Yeah. No, Jordan, this is an album I think you should be really proud of. I really like it. Oh, thanks. And if you're listening to the podcast and you haven't heard it already, uh, get it in that heavy rotation, especially if you like Sufjan Stevens. Well, Jordan, any, anything else about Glossolalia that you're like, this was really, this is something that I was really proud of, or this is something that was really interesting about creating it? Yeah. Um... I would say um, that I, my wife was very instrumental in making it happen. Mm. She's, she's like very good at giving feedback. She would be like, you should keep working on that. Or she'd be like, that one isn't that great. Um, And she always likes like the least, her favorites are always like the ones that like nobody else has as their favorites. Mm. So yeah, I really love her. Yeah. That's all I would say. That's very yeah. sweet. Yeah. So Olivia is uh, a big part of this record and a big part of your life, Jor. And mine and Courtney's. Yeah. We love you guys. She's pretty great. Yeah. Um, well, with that said, should we bid adieu? I got to go make my family some pizza. Oh. It's pizza night. Justin's great at making pizza. <laughs> You should taste some of his pizzas. They are delectable. Oh, yes. Um, but tonight I'm just phoning it in, really. Just yeah, making you, cheese. For you, phoning it in is going to be amazing. I, I will heat up the pizza stone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, this has been a little bit awkward for me, but... Well, thanks for also in letting us do this. So uh, you want to hear more Sufjan podcasts? Give us a shout at T-W-T-W-P-E-T-T-E. 
No, it's that was the worst podcast ever. I, I was homeschooled. I have to have it written out. It just anyway, at gmail.com. Give us your feedback. It's always great to hear from you. And with that said, the dress looks nice on you. The dress <laughs> was, looks nice on you. I was like, is there a Jordan Clawson version of that? Not really. Um, uh, don't go down this dark road. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Jordan and Justin saying, don't go down this dark road. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Don't go, don't go